ago, but uh, suffice it to say that there are enough of them throughout the Word of God, and every one of them seem to be very, very instructive concerning spiritual truths. And uh, we talked uh, the first week, preached about a dis- how God called a disturbed donkey to speak. And that, of course, was the donkey of Balaam. Uh, and how that God used that donkey to reach Balaam, and how that in that painful relationship between that donkey and its master, uh, that God vindicated that donkey, and that God used that donkey in a mighty way. Then we talked about how God used a dead donkey uh, to slay or to sacrifice. And we talked about that jawbone that Samson found. We talked about the value that that donkey had, more value in its death than in its life. Uh, how that really that donkey could not accomplish anything meaningful until it had died uh, as far as the scope of what it was used to accomplish. We talked about the crucified life and how that God intends for us to crucify self, to mortify self before He can pick us up and use us for His glory. And then we talked about how God called a disobedient donkey to stray. Or if you're just a, a, a fine purveyor of sermonistic alliteration, or a glutton for punishment, I guess you could say he called a duo of disobedient donkeys to stray. Amen? Because it was two of them, uh, and those, of course, were the donkeys that belonged to Saul's father, Kish. And we talked about how that those donkeys went astray, but that God even used the straying of those donkeys to work in the life of Saul. Aren't you thankful that when we get out, when we make mistakes, and uh, I know there's been times in my life I've not been everything that I ought to be, I've not been living right, I'm glad that it doesn't have to be a total loss. I'm glad the providence of God can take it and can turn some of it for good and for His glory. And then we talked last week about how God called a dependable donkey to saddle. We talked about the uh, mule that Absalom rode upon and how that mule, despite all of the upheavals of changes around it, it did exactly what a donkey or a mule is created and called to do. It just kept walking. And because it just kept walking, God was able to turn the hinges of Israel's history, was able to cast down a tyrant and set his king back upon the throne. And all that thing did was just keep walking. It's a reminder that in this topsy-turvy world that we live in, we as God's people, we just need to keep walking. Amen? Keep serving God. Keep doing what we know is right. Well, tonight, if the Lord will permit it, I want to spend a few moments talking about a final donkey in this series. And we find this donkey in Mark chapter number 11. Let's begin reading in verse number 1. Mark chapter 11, verse number 1. The Word of God says, When they came nigh to Jerusalem unto Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you, and as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied." Whereon never man sat, loose him and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. And straightway he will send him hither. They went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met, and they loose him. And certain of them that stood there said unto them, What do ye loosing the colt? And they said unto them, Even as Jesus had commanded, and they let them go. They brought the colt to Jesus and cast their garments on him, and he sat upon him. Many spread their garments in the way, and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. And they that went before and they that followed cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Blessed be the kingdom of our father David that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. 
We thank You for this opportunity. God, speak to our hearts tonight. Lord, deal with us. We need You to deal with us. Father, I pray that You would have free reign and liberty in this service and in our hearts and minds and lives, that the truths contained within this passage uh, would find a ready home in our spirit and in our understanding and our acceptance of the divine mandate and truth of them. I pray, Lord, that You would just have liberty to work. I pray, Father, for each and every heart. I don't know anyone's heart. Uh, Lord, I don't even really know my own heart. It's desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. But, Lord, You know our hearts. So I pray that You'd administer to us the, the spiritual, the eternal medicine and truth that we so desperately need. And we'll be sure to thank You for it. Lord, we love You and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I would remind you once more, very briefly, before we get into the preaching tonight, about some of the reasons that we began this series in the first place. Uh, you know, you could probably take almost anything in Scripture and try to shoehorn an illustration or an application to your life or mine. But I think when we study donkeys as creatures, as animals, and particularly their function and description in Scripture... I think that it's fair to say that in a lot of ways, donkeys remind me of Christians, of church people, of God's people, of born-again people. Now, that may sound like an insult at first, but when you realize that, listen, the whole way of life in the Middle East could not have existed without the simple donkey, then you'd recognize that it's a lofty thing in many ways to strive to... Uh, to, to uh, uh, to replicate these characteristics in our behavior and in our life. We've sort of said jokingly a time or two, the old song says, Dare to be a Daniel, but that's a little too lofty for me. Amen. I, I know too much about Daniel, but I could dare to be a donkey. And uh, maybe if I could be what these animals were for the Lord Jesus, then maybe in some way God could use me. So we talked about some of those characteristics. I think when we think about a donkey, the first thing we think about is the stubbornness of a donkey. Uh, that is the greatest impediment to a donkey being useful, is that its stubbornness has to be overcome. In fact, a donkey has no greater enemy to its usefulness than itself. There's no predator, uh, there's no opponent, there's no natural environmental danger that, it, that is as great of a threat to its productivity as its very own self. If that spirit cannot be broken, if that will cannot be mastered, then that donkey will be wild, it'll dwell in the wilderness, and it may live a lot of years, it may grow fat upon foraging, but it won't ever be useful to anybody or to anything. It'll just sort of exist. And you know, that's where we're at as Christians. Uh, We are naturally stubborn creatures. In fact, all human beings are naturally stubborn. Uh, you say, well, preacher, Christian ought not to be. Well, that's true. God wants to do a supernatural work in natural people. He wants to change them. But we naturally are very stubborn creatures. And we ourselves are our own worst enemy. The person you look at in the mirror every morning, the one that looks back at you, that is the greatest impediment to God using you. And you can live like a lot of people that are born again live. There's a lot of them that live like wild donkeys. They just dwell out in the wilderness and they might make money and they might thrive as far as the world standard is concerned and, and they might live to a ripe old age. But God can never use them because they've never had their will mastered by His will. The stubbornness of a donkey reminds me of church people. Not only that, but the service of a donkey. They are beasts of burden. They are created to serve. They're not created to look at. Anybody that's seen one can tell you that. They're not created for speed. They are created to serve. 
Uh, they're not race horses. They're not show horses. They're work horses. They're, they're animals, beasts of burden. And their service is what they're created for. I, listen, that may sound a little, uh, a little low brow if, if you allow pride to grow in your heart. But when you recognize just how little we are, when you recognize just how, how uh, helpless we are, when you recognize just how unimpressive we are, then it's a glorious day to think that God would use us to serve Him in any capacity. Let me say it this way, man. I'm glad it ain't a beauty contest or I would have never got in. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad it's not about whoever is the most talented because if it was, I'd be, I'd be sitting on a back bench somewhere. I'd never be used by God. But it's about those that are willing to serve Him in whatever capacity He needs. We talked about the service of a donkey. We talked about the strength of a donkey. A donkey is stronger than it looks. Uh, it, it's funny, we, you know, donkeys tend to be a little longer haired than a lot of horses are. And one of the things I think that makes horses so majestic and beautiful creatures, it's like it's one big muscle running around out there. I mean, you can see every contour, every ripple of that thing's uh, muscles and, and it's impressive. It, it's, it, it's something that you can stand back and, and just sort of admire the beauty and the strength of that animal. But donkeys with their long ears and with their dumpy legs and with their little bit longer hair, they're not impressive animals. Uh, they're not so, you, most people, unless they deal in them, are never going to stand back and say, whew, that is a good-looking donkey. And you would never say, boy, you can tell that donkey's strong. But their strength is sometimes more than you'd imagine. Their strength is not to be fast, but it's to carry heavy loads. That's us as believers. God doesn't give us strength so that we can be swift. God gives us strength so that we can be steadfast. We wish He gave us strength so that we'd be swift, so that we'd fly through all of the challenges and obstacles of life, but that's not how the Christian life is. One of my favorite verses, I cannot quote it off the top of my head, it's in the book of Colossians, uh, but Paul talks about the, uh, the, the strength of God uh, being given unto us for long-sufferingness, for patience unto, uh, uh, long-sufferingness unto patience with joy. God's strength is most often manifest in the lives of believers as they suffer things that might be unjust, that might be unfair, that might be unasked for or un- unknown to them. Uh, but God helps them to bear up, gives them supernatural strength. We talked about the sure-footedness of a donkey. It is that ability to keep their feet underneath them and to just keep going regardless of the circumstances that makes them so valuable. And that goes along with the stamina of a donkey. They'll go farther than you'd ever imagine. They, they can just keep going, keep plugging away, keep plugging away. Man, listen, praise God for some God-fearing uh, people full of the Holy Ghost that I've known in my life that despite the devil throwing everything in his basket at them, they just kept on going for God. Uh, it takes a lot more about us to just keep going for God than it does to do something great for God in a moment. It's easy sometimes to do something great for God in a moment, to make a great commitment or to make a great sacrifice. But you can really see the the strength and life of Christ in people that just keep on consistently, steadfastly going on for God, regardless of their circumstances. We talked about the substitute of a donkey. This has always interested me. It's very fascinating uh, historical, theological fact in the nation of Israel. Uh, God had commanded, He had said that everything that openeth the matrix, everything that's born, He said, is mine first and foremost. And so whenever a new herd or a new flock was born, uh, they were to take the firstborn of that herd or that flock and give it as a sacrifice to the Lord. But God made an exception when it came to donkeys. Listen to what it says in Exodus 13, 13. It says, Every firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. 
And if thou wilt not redeem it, then thou shalt break his neck, and all the firstborn of man among thy children shalt thou redeem. God re- reiterates this in, in Exodus chapter 34, verse 19. says, All that openeth the matrix is mine, and every firstling among thy cattle, whether ox or sheep that is male, but the firstling of an ass thou shalt redeem with a lamb. And if thou redeem him not, then thou shalt break his neck. All the firstborn of thy sons thou shalt redeem, and none shall appear before me empty. In other words, God knew that a donkey was more valuable alive than dead. And God knew that uh, that donkey would make the difference for some of those uh, Middle Eastern families. And so He made a provision uh, that that donkey, one of two things had to happen. You either had to kill it, had to be sacrificed, or if you didn't want to sacrifice it, a lamb could die in its place. And it could go free. And it could go on to live and to serve that family and to be meaningful throughout its life. Man, that reminds me of you and I. That was the choice we had. Either we die or we let the lamb die for us. And we're more valuable to God in life than we would be in physical death. Evidently, God felt that way or He wouldn't have sent His Son to die for us. And so God made a great sacrifice so that we could go on living. We talked about the substitute of a donkey. And then finally we talked about... I mean finally in my introduction. Don't get excited. Uh, finally, we talked about the selection of a donkey. Uh, you find this was common throughout the Old Testament. In fact, I'll say a word about this as we get a little further into the preaching tonight. But uh, in the Old Testament, it was common for powerful men in times of peace to ride donkeys or mules. In fact, the Bible tells us that uh, in in the Old Testament, in the book of Judges, uh, that uh, that the judges, and I believe, if if I'm not mistaken, it was Gideon rode upon a white mule and that his sons and his nephews rode upon uh, colts, white colts. uh, And that was how they rode around the kingdom. Uh, It was a sign of of power, a sign of prosperity, but it was also a sign of dominance. If it was wartime, they'd ride a horse uh, because they could have to go into battle at any moment. But when they were secure in the peace of their throne and their power, they would ride upon a donkey or upon a mule. And uh, that's the reason I believe that Absalom rode upon that mule. Uh, he was at war at that time, uh, but he was at war and pretended he was at peace. Don't that remind you of the devil <laughs> at war but pretending he's at peace? And uh, and so Absalom rode upon David's mule because he wanted to telegraph that he was uh, had control of his daddy's wealth and his riches and his throne and his power. But in the Old Testament, uh, well, and in the New Testament, we find three great kings that rode upon donkeys. When David rode into Jerusalem, he rode in on a donkey. When Solomon rode in to Jerusalem to be crowned king, he rode in on a donkey. And then here in our text tonight, we find the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, riding into Jerusalem on the back of a young donkey. We said a word about the selection of a donkey. In other words, the donkey is the chosen steed, the chosen ride, of kings and of God Himself. I'm glad to know that God would be willing to use me. Aren't you glad to know God would be willing to use you? That though He has His choice of every war horse uh, ever imaginable, He chooses to use donkeys like me and you to do His bidding. Well, tonight I want us to take a few moments and look at this last donkey, if the Lord, if it's His will that we'll preach on here in Mark chapter number 11. And I have titled this message tonight... Uh, this is, uh, this is uh, part five, and God has called a destined donkey to serve. A destined donkey to serve. Here in Mark chapter number 11, the Lord Jesus is on the cusp, on the precipice of His crucifixion. He is getting ready to ride into Jerusalem, uh, be acclaimed and affirmed and declared by the, the crowds of common folk to be the king of the Jews and the king of Israel. 
But to be rejected by the Pharisees and scribes, to be rejected uh, by the Roman government as well, and He is going to be crucified and die in your place and mine. He is about, we, we might say this, He is about to turn away from His role as Messiah and to put a spotlight on His role as sacrifice. And one of the things as the Messiah that was prophesied of the Lord Jesus was that when He came riding in to Jerusalem, He would come riding upon a colt, the foal of a donkey, the child, the offspring of a donkey. And in fulfillment of this prophecy... Here in Mark chapter number 11, as he's about to enter into Jerusalem, the Lord Jesus, he sends his disciples to go and to claim and gather this donkey that he knew by by omniscience, by divine knowledge, he knew where this donkey would be and to bring him so that they can saddle up and ride into Jerusalem. Now, again, I would say, as it has been throughout this whole series, that the donkey, at least in my heart and mind, in this passage, you can preach it a lot of ways, I know, But here, let me say that the donkey reminds me of a believer, of a Christian. And the greatest thing that could be said of your life or mine is that we could be used of God to uplift the Lord Jesus, to magnify Him, and to serve Him. I want above all things just to serve Him, to be used of Him. And I think this donkey teaches us some important things about how to do that. Look with me in verse number 1. The Bible says, When they came nigh to Jerusalem, unto Bethphage, and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go your way into the village over against you. And as soon as ye be entered into it, ye shall find a colt tied, whereon never man sat. Loose him, and bring him. And if any man say unto you, Why do ye this? Say ye that the Lord hath need of him. And straightway he will send him Hither. Let me say a word tonight about the bearings of this donkey, the location of this donkey. The Bible goes out of its way to tell us some geographical points on a map as to where this donkey was, while never actually revealing to us the exact precise location of where it was. In other words, the Lord Jesus, as He is journeying to Jerusalem, He is at Bethany, which is a a, a favorite haunt of the Lord during His earthly ministry. Bethany, of course, is the town where Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived. And then to Bethphage, which was a place of olive trees and olive presses. Not surprising being right there at the foot of the Mount of Olives. And in this little community, our Lord spent a lot of time in His earthly ministry. It would appear on this very night that He goes to Bethany. This is the night... that the alabaster box is broken, and that Mary pours out her worship and her praise unto Him. This is the night that Judas gets angry that that money was spent on that alabaster box and that ointment and not put in the bag where he could put his grubby hands on it. And uh, this is a key integral moment in the life of the Lord Jesus, and this is familiar territory. But the Bible does not say that this donkey was found in Bethany. The Bible does not say that this donkey was located in Bethphage. In fact, what the Lord Jesus says in verse 2 is He says, Go your way into the village over against you. Where was it that this donkey was? I think, by the way it's described, I think there are three things that describe to us the place that this donkey was. And you hang with me and I think you'll see what I'm preaching at here in just a moment. 
Most commentators agree that the most likely place, the most likely location of this donkey was a little village by the name of Nob. They're on the northern side of the city of Jerusalem. They're at the foot of the Mount of Olives near Bethany and Bethphage. They say that's probably the most likely place that Jesus was referring, especially given that it was kind of situated betwixt Bethany and Bethphage. It makes sense that the Lord Jesus would be pointing to that closest village and telling them that there is where that donkey was. Now, Nob is an interesting place in the Bible. You don't find it mentioned. There's a couple places. It's mentioned just that it exists and that it's there and kind of where it's at. But there is one story in the Bible where the city of Nob features prominently. Uh, We actually talked about it in some kind of preaching that we've done here lately. I don't remember what we was preaching on or why, but uh, we were talking about the, the, the priest Ahimelech. In the Old Testament, Ahimelech is the man uh, that uh, David came to whenever he was fleeing from Saul. David had no weapon. He had no provisions. He had his men with him. He had no shelter for them. And so he goes to a little city by the name of Nob. For there the tabernacle was set up in the days of Saul the king. And David arrives there and he goes into Ahimelech and he begs for help, begs for assistance and refuge. And Ahimelech lets David and his men eat the showbread off the table and in in fact, gives him the sword that had belonged to Goliath that had been taken and put with the Ark of the Covenant after David slew the giant Goliath. Well, David leaves that place and there's a fellow by the name of Doeg. He's an Edomite and uh, and a troublemaker, just to be honest. And, and he sees that this has happened. He runs to King Saul and tells Saul that Ahimelech has betrayed Saul. And so Saul, in retribution, sends uh, his army down and kills Ahimelech, who is the high priest. But not only him, killed every other priest in this little village of Nob. Lays them low, slays them. In fact, we were preaching, I know when it was, a Wednesday night out of the 56th Psalm, when David is talking about mischievous men, men working mischief and evil and wickedness. The only time, in other words, that the Bible ever says anything about Nob It is literally the site of a great slaughter of God's people. I wrote it down this way, that this donkey was found in a place of darkness. It was not found in a place that you would expect it to be. I think if I was choosing a place, I would probably try to find some royal steed descendant of the seed of the great horses that Solomon had kept. I'd probably maybe try to find a mule or a donkey from uh, some significant city in, in Israel like Bethlehem or, or uh, the birthplace of the Lord Jesus or, or, or maybe uh, Shiloh where the, the tabernacle had once been set up. I'd maybe try to find uh, in Hebron where uh, Abraham spent so much of his life. I'd try to find some place with a good history. You ever heard someone use the phrase, other side of the tracks? Nob was the other side of the tracks. There in the shadow of the temple itself, it seems as though it never recovered from the stain upon its history, and it was forever known merely as a memorial for those fallen priests and a testament to the wickedness of the heart of man and of King Saul. And that's the very place that God looked at, we don't know who it was. I think it was probably Peter and John, simply because he later on tells Peter and John to go prepare the Passover. But he looks at two of his disciples, whoever they are, and he says, go over into that little city of Nob. By the way, can I say this? And there were some, there were some qualifications had to be met for this donkey to be the one that, that Scripture prophesied. But I believe God was powerful enough to put that donkey anywhere he wanted to. I think if he wanted to, he could have willed it. That and and the the mother of that donkey, he could have willed him to be anywhere that he wanted. But instead, he chooses Nob. You know, I think it's a great encouragement. It's a reminder to me that sometimes God takes folks from dark places, from dark pasts, from dark history, 
People that ain't got nothing in their past to be proud of. But He takes them and He saves them and He changes them and He enlists them in His service and He puts a saddle on them and He mounts up and rides proudly, not ashamed of who they are, and will use them for His glory. This donkey came from a place of darkness. Not only that, we learn that this donkey was standing in a place of decision. Whenever the disciples arrived there, listen to where they find it, this donkey. In verse number 4, it says, They went their way and found the colt tied by the door without in a place where two ways met. Where two ways met. In other words, this donkey was at a, at a cross section. You know, another name for a cross section is a crisis point. In other words, this thing was at a place where two roads were meeting. And most people standing at that place, now this donkey was not able to make a decision, but most people standing at that place would be faced with making a decision about which direction to go. Now, I don't know about you, it may not mean much to you, but that means a lot to me because it reminds me that every time we serve God, we have began at a place of decision. We've chosen whether to serve Him or not serve Him. We've chosen whether to live for Him or not live for Him. Yea, I'd say this, that our whole life is spent at a cross-section. Every waking moment that we live, we're making decisions, we're making choices. And serving God, listen carefully, begins with the decision to make the right choice. Serving God begins with saying, I'm going to put the Lord's needs above my needs. I'm going to put the Lord's desires above my desires. I'm going to let the Lord tell me which way to go and what to do. And putting Him at the forefront of our decision making. It was a place of decision. But then I cannot help but say that it was also a place of destiny. You say, preacher, why, why do you believe that? And I'll admit to you, I'm not a big fan of that, of, of that word destiny. It, it almost speaks of fate or something that exists in and of itself. I mean, I understand we're talking about the providence of God. But I would say this, hey, this donkey was meant to be here. No question about it. It was so meant to be there that before anybody other than God by the knowledge of being God, knew where he was before anyone else knew that that God himself said, that donkey is going to be at a certain place at a certain time and you can go there and you can find him and you can meet him and you can loose him and you can bring him. This thing was destined to be at this place. It was no accident that it was in this village of Nob. We're not told, by the way, if this donkey, if its owner lived in the village of Nob. I think it's probably just statistically unlikely it wasn't a large place. We're not told why this thing was at the city of Nob. Now, you and I know in the grand scope of things, but I mean, its master had to be there for some reason. We don't know. But we do know regardless of the externalities, regardless of whatever uh, matters and and orders of life uh, cooperated and coordinated to bring it to that point, we know it was not there by accident. It was there by providence. And it was there because God had a plan and a purpose for it. Let me tell you something. You're not at the place that you're at in life by accident. Oh man, let me tell you, I, I look at my life and, and, and I try to make it a regular practice. I just stand in awe sometimes at where God has put me and at, at, at His direction and at His watch care and at His providence. We truly stand, we've come from a place of darkness, but we stand in a place of decision. And it is also a place of destiny where we can choose to serve God and be used of God if we do so choose. I noticed the bearings of the donkey. Let me say a word about the bondage of the donkey. Before this donkey could ever be ridden by the Lord, could ever be used of God, it had to be loosed. In other words, there was some impediments in his life that had to be removed before it could ever be useful. You know, that's true of you and I as believers too. We all have things in our life that are preventing God from using us in a greater way. 
we too are bound. I, I wonder why they tied this donkey up. Well, we weren't, we'll learn a little bit of a reason, I think, in Matthew 21. Matthew's account of this is it doesn't, it's not contradictory, because nothing in the Bible is contradictory. But it, but it is different. It contains details that are not found in the other two synoptic Gospels. And in Matthew's account, listen to what it says. Matthew 21, verse number 1. It says, When they drew nigh to Jerusalem, were come to Bethphage under the Mount of Olives, they sent Jesus' two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway, listen carefully, you shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, Matthew says, and bring them unto me. And if any man say aught unto you, ye shall say, The Lord hath need of them, and straightway he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell ye the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy king cometh unto thee meek, and sitting upon an ass and a colt, the foal of an ass. You see, I'll tell you why I believe one of the reasons that this donkey was tied up, just a very simple reason, because the prophecy contained that it wouldn't just be a colt, but it would be a, a, a grown donkey as well and that these two donkeys were tied together. Now, I thank the Lord that in order to use both of them to fulfill the prophecy, He brought both of them along. But a very simple reason that this donkey was tied up, it was tied up so it would stay with its mother. Can I say to you tonight, and listen, you, you can, if you think about this too hard, it'll cross your eyes, so don't do that, okay? But I, the, the, <laughs> I think this donkey was bound because of its connection. Now, I know, I know the Lord took both the donkeys. I, I know that the prophecy was that there would be two donkeys. But I'm just pointing to the fact that this donkey could not be used until it was loose and it was tied up in the first place because it was standing there with its mother, it was standing there with a parent, and it was that connection that caused it to be bound. You know, some of us, we can't be used of God because of connections we've got in our life. We're just straight up tied to too many things that we got no business being tied to. We're tied to too many things. We are tied down and weighed down by too many cares, too many distractions in life for God to be able to use us in an effective, meaningful way. There's some of us, the best thing in the world for us would just be doing inventory of our lives and say, are there things that are holding me back from giving myself fully to the Lord? This donkey was tied, was bound because of connection. Sometimes, man, there's people that'll hold you back from serving God. Sometimes there are plans that will hold you back from serving God. Sometimes there are places that we get comfortable in and familiar with that'll hold us back from serving God. What's the command? Loose him and bring him. It's the only way that this donkey was going to be used. I believe it was bound by connections. Not only that, I think there's a second reason that they bound this donkey. The Bible tells us that no man had ever rode upon this donkey. It's described as a colt, as the foal of an ass. In other words, it was a young donkey. And I think being a young donkey and not being saddle broken, not being trained in any way, I think that master probably did what most people would do. He tied that donkey up because if he didn't, very simply, it would wander away. It was in its nature to wander. I wrote it down this way. It was bound by connections, but it was also bound by rebellion. It had to be bound or it would have wandered off. It would have gone who knows where. In fact, that's what we see. The Bible talks about wandering asses, wandering donkeys. And, and in fact, one of the donkeys or sets of donkeys that we preached upon was two donkeys that wandered off because they hadn't been tied up. It's in their nature to wander off. And sometimes that proclivity to wander, that tendency to wander, is the very reason that they have to be bound. And if they're bound, 
Listen, they can't be used the way that God intended. You know that's true of your life and mine. Some of us, uh, God has us bound because if He doesn't bind us, we'll wander off. And we cannot be used fully by God because we are too bound up by our own rebellion. I like what the psalmist said, that we're not to be as the horse with bit and bridle in its mouth that has to be turned about by force and by manipulation and by coercion. I don't want to be the type that if God wants me to go a direction, He's got to pull the reins to get me to do it. I just want to obey. I just I want to be in so in tune with Him that He ain't got to tie me up. I just, of my own volition, of my own accord, I just want to serve Him. I love Him. And I want to do what He wants me to do. This donkey was bound by rebellion. And then I think there's another reason. Now, maybe we could say that this donkey, had it not been tied to its mother, the mere presence of the older donkey, of the mother, that familial connection and relationship, maybe it would have stayed in that same place. Maybe it just simply wouldn't have wanted to wander away from its mother. It would have felt tied and kin to it. And maybe they wouldn't have had to have tied either of them. Maybe they would have just stayed where they're at. Maybe that love for its mother would have overcome any natural tendency to wander off. But here's why they couldn't do that. Remember where it's at? It's at a place where two ways met. One thing you'll learn about donkeys, they're quite inquisitive. You see, had that thing been out in a field by itself and its mother there, it might have never wandered just because its mother was there. But there in a place where two ways met, every few minutes there'd be a fresh traveler. Every few minutes there'd be another donkey or another beast of burden, another animal. Every, every, time, every few seconds its ears would twitch and listen for noises all around it. Let me say it this way. This thing was bound because of distractions. If they hadn't tied this donkey up, it surely would have been allured away by the activity of what's transpiring around it. What a disaster it would have been for this donkey if it had wandered off. Could you imagine the Lord Jesus needing a donkey, planning on using you in that capacity, sending disciples and getting there and finding an empty hitching post? And you're not there because you wandered off after some noise that turns out to be nothing, turns out to be meaningless. Hey, listen, what would happen in our lives? God wants to use us. And He goes to the place where He left us. He goes to the place where He put us. He goes to the place where He plans on us being. And He gets there. And we've wandered off after some distraction. Some sin, some temptation, some allurement, some grass being greener here or there. And we're not where God wants us to be because of distractions. You see, this thing had to be bound because if it didn't, the distractions would get the better of it. I see the binding of this donkey. But when the Lord gets a hold of it, and when the Lord's servants get a hold of it, it can be loose. And both of these donkeys are brought to the Lord Jesus. Now, the prophecy was that He would ride upon both of them. I would assume that's probably not both of them at the same time. I think I agree with one commentator, believes that probably he rode the mother uh, for a little while and then rode the colt for a little while, and probably that prefigures the relationship between the Lord Jesus and the nation of Israel and the church. I, I don't know. I, I guess if somebody argued with me, I wouldn't have enough nerve to argue back about that, but uh, I, I do not know exactly all of the logistics of how this was carried out. But I do know that uh, it seems as though the colt was the primary uh, beast that the Lord Jesus rode upon. And I want you to notice for just a moment the burden of this donkey. Now, when I say burden, I mean that in an explicit sense. I, I don't mean that 
it was difficult for him to carry this this rider. I don't mean that it was too much to ask or undue responsibility or pressure. I just merely mean that this donkey had a burden to bear and that burden was placed on its back. But what can we learn about it? Well, listen to what it says in verse number 7. It says, and they brought the colt to Jesus. Man, I like that. God give me some people in my life that will bring me to Jesus when I'm not. God give me some people in my life that love me enough to bring me to Jesus. They brought the colt to Jesus. And notice what they did. They cast their garments on Him and He sat upon Him. And many spread their garments in the way and others cut down branches off the trees and strawed them in the way. Now, there's two things that fascinate me. Let me say a word first off about the saddle that this donkey wore. This was not a conventional saddle. In fact, the Bible says that they just took their garments, took their cloaks, and laid them over the back of the donkey, and that the Lord Jesus climbed on top, and that's what He used as a saddle. But how suggestive that is to us about a couple things. One, notice the donors of this saddle. This was not a saddle crafted in a fine shop of a a craftsman or, or of a workman. But this was merely the burdens that others would have otherwise been carrying that were instead, Brother Larry, taken and put on the back of this donkey. And the way, listen carefully, the way that the donkey bore the Lord Jesus was by first bearing the burdens that belonged to others. There was a layer between that donkey and between the Lord Jesus. And that layer was the garments and clothes and burdens of other people. You know, that's a lot like serving God is in your life and mine. I wish I could tell you that, 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 that every, I wish I could tell you that, that every need we meet is going to be a direct need of the Lord Jesus. But that's rarely the case. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. I wish I could tell you that every wound we're ever going to bind up is going to be a nail scarred hand or a nail pierced foot. But you know, that's not the case. He's already got a glorious body and though those scars exist, they do not pain him any longer. The fact is, the way that most of the time that we minister to Him is by ministering to these. It's by bearing the burdens of other people that know the Lord, that know God, other brothers and sisters in Christ. It's by bearing their burdens that we bear Him. It's interesting when you go through The Bible has is ripe with illustrations this Christ talked about. And it's actually in the context of the judgment of nations. A lot of politicians use this and misuse and abuse this passage. Uh, but, but there's a passage that talks about visiting me in prison. talks about uh, feeding me when I was hungry and clothing me when I was naked. And every time a politician wants to spend your, more of your money, they'll start quoting that verse. Amen. Uh, but uh, the context of that, and it relates to the, the nation of Israel, and it relates to the treatment of the nation of Israel by various nations, but it illustrates an important principle, which is this, that we serve the Lord by serving others instead, in the stead of the Lord Jesus. That we bear others' burdens and thereby bear His burden. I see the donors of this saddle, but let me, I can't help but say a word about the rider on the saddle. Because the the person, by the time it's all said and done, you know who everybody's talking about? They're not talking about the folks that gave their garments. They're not talking about the fellow that loaned that donkey. They're not talking about the donkey. When it's all said and done, they're all talking about Jesus. What a privilege it must have been for this donkey. Think about it throughout life. It's interesting because the Lord Jesus 
never owned, it would seem, just about anything, save a, a garment that was sewn throughout. That seems to be just about the only thing that the Lord Jesus ever owned was the clothes on His back. He, he, listen, he was, he was laid in a, in a borrowed manger when he was born. He was, uh, he was, uh, buried in a, in a borrowed tomb after he died. Uh, even the cross that they crucified him on was provided by his, his crucifiers, by, by his persecutors. The Lord Jesus said that foxes have their holes and birds there have their nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And you know, go all the way through the Bible, Brother Charlie, and you won't find anywhere where the Lord Jesus owns a donkey. Nowhere. You won't find you won't find any you won't find any triggers. You won't you won't find any any black beauties. You won't find any did, did Festus ever name his mule? <laughs> Amen. You won't find any of them. Ruth, that's right, Ruth. You won't find any Ruths. Well you will, but it won't be a mule. You won't find any of that. I don't believe the Lord Jesus owned a donkey. He borrowed this donkey. And think about how I mean one time, to our knowledge, and I could be wrong, if you find a scripture, come show it to me, I'll get up and I'll apologize, I'll beat myself with whips or whatever. But only one time can I ever remember the Lord Jesus ever gracing a donkey. And it was this donkey. Man, you talk about winning the jackpot. You talk about the opportunity of a lifetime. But this donkey, one of the lowliest of beasts, could carry the very Creator Himself. Man, we call it a burden. But what a blessing it is that a donkey like you or a donkey like me could be used to carry the Son of God. I I, I see in this passage the saddle that He wore. Let me say a word about the straw that He walked. Uh, It wasn't just straw, it was also the garments. But they laid out their coats and they laid out straw before Him. And this donkey walked on this straw on the way to Jerusalem. You know what that tells me? It tells me a couple things about the path that this donkey walked. Number one, it tells me this path was planned for him. He wasn't walking just anywhere because they could not have laid those things before him. Except there had been, Brother Fred, a foreordained, a predetermined path for this donkey to walk. They knew where this donkey was headed. And by the way, if this donkey, just in case this donkey may have not known where to go, All it had to do was look where the garments and straw were and stay on the path that was laid for it and it would wind up where God intended on it. That's a lot like you and me as believers. There's a path laid out for us. There's a path that is distinctive to our lives, the will of God that that is unique and distinctive to our lives. I I can't tell you everything about what the will of God would be for you. I believe the will of God is for me to be the pastor of Wall Ridge Baptist Church. Now, if you believe the will of God is for you to be the pastor of Wallridge Baptist Church, we're going to have to have a conversation. Amen? So, the will of God for me and for you is different in that respect. But there are certain things that are the will of God for all of us. The Bible says that He has saved us unto good works which we were before ordained to walk therein. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. Hey, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. There's a plain path for most of us. And in areas of our life where we might not know what the next step holds, we ought to just look to the Lord and say, God, guide me, because I know you do have a plan for me. It was a planned path. But I'd note this, it was a pleasant path. Uh, they didn't have red carpets back then, but this is the closest thing to it. That's what they was doing. Saying, hey, Jesus ain't just nobody. 
this donkey ain't carrying just some, some random no-name person. He's carrying the Son of God. He's carrying the King of Israel. So let's roll out the red carpet. I don't know what donkeys think. Actually, I might have a better idea than we'd imagine. But I'm sure if the intelligent, and they are intelligent creatures, I'm sure that that donkey knew something was different about the path he was walking. And I don't know if he, I don't know if he thought this or felt this, but don't you imagine? He, he might have thought, whew, boy, this is nice. Boy, this is, this is a pleasant path. Boy, this is softer on my hooves than anything else. This is more pleasant, more agreeable, more delightful than any other path that I could be walking. You know, you'll find this out. If you'll get in the will of God, you'll love it. You won't love everything about it all the time. It's not to say that everything that you go through will be pleasant, but it's to say that when your foot finally falls and hits the ground, it'll be pillowed on the providence and guidance of God, and it'll always rest upon His promises. It was a pleasant path. And then let me say one more thing. I'll be done tonight. Let me say a word about the blessing of the donkey. This, this was a donkey like any other donkey. Though it was ordained and set aside and planned by God, it was an ordinary donkey. But there are two extraordinary things that resulted from its service. Look at verse number 9. The Bible says, They that went before, they that followed, cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Let me say that because of this donkey, because of its obedience, he glorified the Lord. I said it a moment ago, by the time we're done with this, ain't nobody talking about the donkey. Ain't nobody talking about the disciples. Ain't nobody talking about the worshipers and the devotees. They're all talking about the Lord Jesus. It put all the attention upon Him. You know, I've found in my life when I get in the will of God, it all becomes about Jesus. I found in, in my life that if I'm being used of God to serve Him, whatever I'm serving Him in, it's all about Jesus. In fact, Brother Larry, it's almost as though all things were created by Him and for Him. It's almost that God structured things in such a way that in all things He might have the preeminence. And when my life is the way it ought to be, it's all about Jesus. It glorified the Lord. But then let me notice this. Look at verse 10. They get a little bit more descriptive. It says, Blessed be the kingdom of our David father, or our father David, that cometh in the name of the Lord, Hosanna in the highest. Now stop and think about what they said in verse 9. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Well, there were a lot of folks that came in the name of the Lord. John the Baptist had come in the name of the Lord. He was making straight and preparing the way of the Lord. Every prophet that was a God-called prophet throughout Israel had come in the name of the Lord. What they said about Jesus here could have really been said about just about anyone. Until you come to verse number 10 when they said, Blessed be the kingdom of our father David. Now you're getting specific. That cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You know what happened? Not only did it glorify the Lord, it identified the Lord. It showed men who Jesus was. That He was not just a prophet, that He was not just a preacher or a teacher or a rabbi or a priest. But that He was the very Messiah the very chosen of God, the Son of God, God the Son, God in the flesh. When people saw the result of this donkey's service, they stood back and they said, Jesus is who He says He is. <laughs> they got a clearer picture of who He was. Hey, listen, I'm not trying to dismiss the, 
the, the bold giving of the gospel in clear truth and, and plain spoken word. That's vital. That is biblical. It's the Bible way. But I would say this, that one of the greatest ways we can show people that our God is worthy, that our God is who He says He is, that our God is worth serving and living for, is for us to serve Him and live for Him. When we're willing to be saddled up, to bear the burdens of others, to carry on our back the Son of God, to lift Him high and holy and give all honor and glory to Him. People get to thinking, you know, I guess I, I, I guess He's who they say He is. Or they wouldn't be living that way. I can't be a Daniel, but I can be a donkey. And if God will help me to, I want to dare to be a donkey like this donkey and to be used of God.